millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live at one. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. Brought to you by MissedApexPodcast.com. We live at one. Today's episode is called, yeah, kind of a good result, I guess. I'm your host, Richard Spannersready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going pretty good there, Spanners. How about yourself? Nice to be back. Yeah, you know, I don't want pretty good race, I guess. Reasonably happy with the result. You see, I'm holding back all my Hamphosi credentials to bring you a neutral and independent show, independent of fandom. Impressive. It's been almost a minute, and you've only mentioned him three times. Oh, but come on, the title fight is on. You can't deny me as a Hamilton fan to be very pleased with what seemed like a very, very good and strong performance. He certainly seemed to give it everything, Matt. Yeah, well, I think we could, everybody could agree that the drivers and the cars were properly on the limit today, fighting for the win at the front. And that's what Formula One is all about. Yeah, I mean, talk about on the limit. You could see Seb's car. He was hanging it out. You could see him on the edge of grip and traction in so many of corners and in so many of uh, you know the events and trying to get past people and incidents with Hamilton. So yeah, they were both on the limit and Hamilton seemed out of breath. Never heard anything like that. But now for the title, it is properly game on. Vettel versus Hamilton. Finally, the, the race we've been waiting for, the title fight we've been waiting for for the best part of a decade. Yeah, until Botas wins another race. And then it's all going to be complicated again. We will get to that, definitely. But look, before we bring the rest of the crew on, Matt, how much have we whinged about Formula One over the years? I think just take a minute to acknowledge that F1 is actually winning friends this season. Can you imagine Bernie's F1 fishing out the kid out of the stands who cried when Kimmy came out so that he could come and meet his hero in the paddock? 
No, Bernie's F1, they would put him up on the Jumbotron and write mean captions underneath <laughs> for the entertainment of the rest of the fans. I mean, <laughs> it's night and day. Man up, kid. That's what Bernie says man up, it would say, in a graphic imprinted onto the screen. Uh, but yeah, so we know the plan for, obviously, my son, Treeface, because now we're going to, at Silverstone, we'll sit in the village complex. We'll have all the team shirts. We'll have 10 different shirts ready and waiting for one of the cars to crash out. And then when it does crash out, we quickly put him in that. And then I'll pinch his armpits until he cries. Make sure it gets on camera. Boom. Paddock access. Yeah. You know, you, you know that thing where you think you've been really clever and you tell someone about your cleverness. And then it turns out you are only the 105,000th person to have been that clever. That's pretty much the only thing I've seen on Twitter today is everyone's like, I'm going to bring my kid. But I might have been the first one to say it on a podcast. Gosh, Fair enough. Gosh darn it, Matthew. Fine. Uh, anyway, yeah, it was an absolutely great couple of hours of motorsport. It's just a shame that it's four weeks before we see any racing again. Well, we'll see some cars in between at least and some pretty scenery. I said racing, Matthew. I said racing. Yes, I know. Monaco does not always produce, but when it does produce... It produces most excellently indeed. Let's pray for rain. We are an independent Formula One podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you your race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Let's bring some lads on. Yes, let's do bring some people on. Our racing guru, a nearly not fat Carter, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? It is going exceptionally well today. I can't figure out why I'm in such a good mood, but it's good to be on. It's just, just 44 mysterious reasons. Joining us next as well is Motorsport Insider. Connected fingers in all the different pies. It's Anil Palmer. How's it going, Anil? Very well. Although as a Ferrari fan, there's a, a little tear rolling down my cheek today. Why would you admit that? Oh, this is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> Don't worry, you've got some backup. Yeah, It's not all ham this week. We have Ryan Ferret Ferris. You're certainly not a happy man, are you? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was a good race. I think it was possibly one of the best in a long time. Brave so, stand there, Ryan. <laughs> so you're not going to jump on the ham bandwagon with us this week then? No, I mean, he's an amazing driver, but that's about it. Let me guess, he's an amazing driver, but you don't like his attitude. There is that, among other things. Got your number. Let's go on to some Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Matt, you know I like to start with my overall impression of the Grand Prix and perhaps a bit of qualifying news, but wow, for a Spanish Grand Prix where we have no expectations whatsoever of a good race, it was just stunning. Just what a great two hours. It really was. It delivered all the strategy variations you hope for and the, I mean, contact between the front runners and the lead trading back and forth. It really was. It was a pleasure to watch. And it's only a shame that Massa had to get in the way at the end. Was it, though? Anyway, anyway, st- stop it, Spanners. Stop it. Be neutral. Be neutral. Um, it might be Chris Stevens. What would Rainbow Sparkles say? That's right. Don't give an opinion. Under any circumstances, however hard you're pushed, do not give an opinion. So we sort of assumed that these 2017 cars would not be conducive to good racing around Barcelona. What do you think the difference was today? Well, uh, I think part of it was they extended the DRS zone 100 meters, and I think that helped people get closer. But the reality is the the new tires 
and the ability to get round the corners, especially that final corner, pretty much flat, made it made it made all the overtakes that were going to happen happen. At least the ones that weren't uh, strategically made. So, do you reckon it just effectively lengthened the straight? Yeah, and that's that's what we've seen is that even when the DRS doesn't just let you go by like a train, as Vettel called Hamilton when he got by, it it, it lets you stay closer in the turns, the extra downforce plus the tires not going off immediately, let you get closer in the turns and then take advantage down the straight of the DRS and the added speed. Yeah, it was um <clears throat> it definitely helped. I think the extension was needed because I think we would have seen nothing without it. Um but to be fair, the most impressive one that came from it that wasn't entirely DRS was um Vettel on on Bottas, which was a stunning, stunning move, but I'll get into that detail when we go, no doubt, go and talk about it later. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to talk about the development battle because this is a traditional home where people bring their first big raft of developments. And when I say big, I mean tusk like in the case of Mercedes. Yeah. And they're turning veins because, oh my goodness, what exactly is that? It was yeah, a I super Ted cape. Uh, they named it, not realizing how old that made them seem. People like Anil wouldn't know what Super Ted was, I should imagine. I literally have no idea what you are talking about. See, but d- I will say that yeah. the updates that they brought to the car, they just look like something out of science fiction. Absolutely. And you're someone who's always sort of gunning for Red Bull to do well in the development race. So overall, a bit disappointing for you. Yeah, I just want there to be a third team to try and you know, force... Mercedes and Ferrari into worrying about what's going on behind them, another team to force them into watching over their shoulder, but it's not quite happening. And of course, it didn't happen today because the number two drivers for Ferrari and um, Mercedes retired. Yeah. So, you know, being from the States and not necessarily having grown up since a young age watching Formula One, it just helped me out here. How often has there been a proper three way battle or. For, for for the drivers in the constructors championship. Never, 2010. never, ever, ever, ever. All season long has there ever, ever, ever been a three car fight out. Never, ever, ever. There was the start of um, 2012, but the real season never was. There's never been that many cars all in one go. Well, so I'd say 2010 and 2012, even though there were clear, faster cars, there was at least another car close enough to force the team to look over their shoulders so you know having to worry about an undercut but generally speaking in those seasons the gaps were a bit closer between the top three teams what what about 2010 when it was between ferrari red bull and mclaren anyone forget about that that was an amazing season as well because i think hamilton that was hamilton vettel alonso weber in the final race and button got eliminated in the penultimate race I and mean, that, that was amazing no the thing is is everyone talks about the history of the sport of you know, what Matt was saying years and years ago, but there never was. There was always massive gaps. I mean, the gap's a bit big at the moment. I mean, um, Nui's got to get out of his box a little bit and start doing some work, I think, because um, all that deficit today, 75 seconds, can't all be uh, Renault's fault. It can't be. All right, let's go on to a bit of qualifying, Matt. Uh, The story has got to be Fernando Alonso somehow pumping it up into seventh place. A bit sad that they sort of, they were treating that like a victory, like a race win, you know, not just a, you know, a plucky Saturday performance. Well, I think if you're Honda, that pretty much was a race win. I mean, P7, that was huge for them. They've never been close to that high. And it really set Alonso up perfectly for the race, his home race. So, yeah, 
yeah, it was it was a big important result. And you can see it, you know, even after the race today, he had a smile on his face. And I think he was genuinely happy with the performance of the car relative to what he suffered through for the last year and a half. And I will say a big hello to the chat room that's joining us in numbers to review the Spanish Grand Prix. Thank you very much. Find my channel, Spanners Ready, on YouTube. That's what it is for now. I am going to rebrand it as a Missed Apex channel because, frankly, that is essentially what it is. But for now, search Spanners Ready. Come and join us on the live stream. Baja is saying that the gap in Sochi to Red Bull was 1.5 and it was 0.6 in Barcelona. I think that's probably a lot down to the fact that Sochi is a power track power-dependent track, and Barcelona is very much an aero where they're at high G for long periods of the race. But hello to all the guys in the chat room. Thanks for joining us. We'll get to you a bit more later. What else did you sort of glean from Quali, Matt? Well, I, I think, you know, I think we realized right away that whatever changes Ferrari made or whether it was the tire pressures, that where they seemed lost on Friday, they were all over it on Saturday at qualifying. I think also it was huge that uh, Botas had to change his engine and go back to the old spec with the old gearbox that was heavier and had more miles on it. He was never, especially missing out most of FP3, going to have a realistic chance at pole. Uh, I thought he did pretty well given his limited running. But what I think the really big deal was, and doesn't really have much to do with cars, is that Liberty Media has introduced for Barcelona for the first time a brand new fan zone meant to enhance the fans' experience at the Grand Prix. And we were talking earlier about Ferrari going and bringing the child down to meet Kimi. This is just another leaf out of that book, and it just goes to show you what happens when you let the professionals get on with their job of marketing the sport correctly. It's a proper media firm, Anil. Yeah, so this 200-meter zip line that they had, um, (laughs) that was incredibly random. I don't really see how that's... Is that fun? Uh, Are zip lines... A thing. I've never really been a fan, but I'm getting thumbs up here. I went zip lining on my honeymoon. It was awesome. Right. So at Silverstone this year, I need in between cars on track. I need to uh, find a zip line. You should absolutely do it. Let's get back to a bit of F1 though for now. It is fascinating uh, what you're saying about Ferrari coming back and qualifying because this is the the answer everyone wants to have is which is the faster car. And we've gotten so used to Mercedes winning by a lot in qualifying on Saturdays. To see Ferrari last weekend put it on pole uh, was a little bit jarring for everyone. It turned everyone's world upside down. And this week, you could argue, uh, Alex, that that Ferrari could well have had pole. And maybe the drivability of that car let Seb down a little bit because there was a few mistakes, but they had the pace. Yeah, I mean, if you watched um, the side-by-side that um, Ant Davison did of Seb and Lewis's lap. Neither lap was perfect. Both had big mistakes. So um, Seb talked about the lockup into this final chicane that cost him all his time. But to be fair, Lewis went wide at several corners. So did um, Vettel. So that where the heralded one minute eighteen could have happened. But neither of them managed to hook a lap up. Just showing how difficult the cars are to drive, which is exactly what we want to see. There is a quote from Sebastian Vettel a couple of years ago where he said that he's always struggled at the chicane in Barcelona, which is uh. really interesting. He said he, he could never, ever get the line right. And he actually had to, I think he beat Ricardo there one year and he said he did it by kind of asking Mark Webber what his secret was. And then he just found a few temps. So again, he's just not quite there on that corner. So you're saying he had to turn his track aids on when he uh, drove the simulator to get through there then? 
But, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because he mentioned it at the post-race, at the post-quality interview, which was very different in format to what we've been used to. And I don't know about you, but I, again, saw some very positive feedback about about that change in format, right? Wait, you, you, Seb using track aids, is he secretly Chris Stevens? <laughs> Sick burn. Uh, also, ah. the traction control he used in 2013. Okay, fair enough. Traction control works. It worked for certain other teams, although they never used it. Yeah, just following up on Trumpet's point, I did quite like the new quality format at the end where they spoke in front of the fans. There's no point in sending the drivers to a room in front of the media straight away. Just give the fans a chance to, you know, cheer and whatnot. Good to see. Okay, come on, Matt. I think we've got to get to the race soon. Yep, absolutely. So if you want to wrap it up, it was five 100s between the two cars. Five 100s, and it really came down to that one turn. And that's how close they are. That was a question you asked. That's my answer. Well, hang on a minute. It could very nearly have been, a, you know, a 20 place difference between Lewis and Sebastian Vettel, Jeansy, because they told him to turn. Yeah, just turn up. Just sack it, mate. Did you know what I mean? Was it like a real like Friday afternoon job in Ferrari? Oh, what should we do with this? Do you know what, Seb? Just sack it, mate. We're done. Yeah, that was that was a great call from Seb. Very calm, very collected. You know, said to the pits, are you sure? And there was a couple of seconds, and all of a sudden he's moving again. Absolutely phenomenal. Brundle called it. That's the difference between an experienced driver and Lance Stroll. It sounds a lot like some days I've I've had at work before, where my computer crashes at 9.30, and I'm just like, right, lads, I'm off to lunch. See you later. Yeah, so that's like the strategist. But how awkward must that conversation have been as he walked, uh, you know, walked back into the pits? And you know, it's I don't know. Let's be a bit racist and say it's Fabrizio. Fabrizio standing there going, uh, "I am really sorry. It seemed to me like it was going to not work anymore, so I just uh, give up." And uh, you know, and that's uh, yeah, it's just well done, Seb. Well done. He's really pulled it out of the bag. Yeah, well, he correctly identified. If I blow up the engine and get a new engine, I'm starting from the back of the grid. If I turn off the car now. I'm starting from the back of the grid. So what do I really have to lose? And you're right. Only a calm head and experienced driver is going to come up with that thought. All right. Let's be a calm head here. Go on to the race. I'm going to press a random button. Let's see how this goes. Not bad. That one stays. Let's talk about the race and the strategy. This is the part of the show where I like to ask Matt where the race was won and lost. But firstly, the start. Let's let's annoy every Hamilton fan listening right now and say, Lewis is weak on starts, isn't he, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or you could say that Ferrari's new magical clutch paddle made the difference in phase two of the start, which is where Vettel really got the best of him. Yeah, he did. So yeah. long story short, he lost out on the leader, Neil. But, you know, do, do you think that really did make a difference? I get the feeling that if Lewis had won, um, he probably, sorry, had Lewis taken the lead, he probably would have put a, a, a bit of a gap over Seb and then Ferrari would have tried the undercut and um, maybe things would have worked out differently. But I think Lewis would have looked good. I will say as well, Bottas actually got a really good start, but he kind of got squeezed in between everyone and was a bit too defensive, I think. Yeah, because Bottas actually managed to pull up alongside Lewis and it uh, he he was very, very tentative and backed off completely. Uh it's it's almost like what what I would do. It's like I don't want to cause contact, so I'm going to back off. But usually, it ends up it causes contact, and what happens? There's a three way uh, pile, well not pile up, but contacts into the first corner. 
Yeah, and we'll definitely go into whose fault is this, because, oh my goodness, there is a whose fault is this special coming up mid-show, because there was so many incidents. But, uh, Jeansy, you and me, we, we'll, we'll represent the Hamfosi here today. When Ferrari, uh, in the form of Vettel, was ahead, and it seemed like Hamilton wasn't catching, and it seemed like he could easily get ahead, it looked, it looked frightening at that point, didn't it? It really looked like Seb was in control. It looked like the good old Red Bull days when Seb would disappear for two seconds in the first lap and then be untouchable for the rest of the race. I did kind of sit back on the second lap and think, oh, God, here we go again. Um, but then, because I, I obviously keep my app up, so I was watching um, the app, and then all of a sudden Lewis dropped two and a half seconds yeah. and stayed there. Yeah, and that was the that thing was that gave That's the thing that gave me hope, was like, hang on a minute, he's not getting any further away he's not getting any closer and then he just did say you know i can't get any closer but matt the question is is 2.5 seconds or two seconds is this now the distance they have to stay where they're scared that it's gonna you know affect their tires because they're in dirty air it used to be about a second didn't it where that was starting to interfere tell me that it's not gone out to 2.5 seconds or 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 here's the other thought i had was it's that turn three in particular in barcelona which meant that there's a lot of dirty air to be had yeah, well, it, it's been at two and a half seconds. Uh, pretty much that's the gap they, they like to stay at, not just for the tires, because I think the tires has been demonstrated will survive being closer, but also to keep the uh, car cooled oh, is very important. Yeah. And, and especially when you've been sitting for the start and all that heat's been building and, you know, it's not, it's not, there's no radiators, radiators. It's all air cooled. So yeah, th- definitely if you see the gap stabilize at two and a half seconds. They're they're biding their time for a strategic push at some point. Evangelos in the chat room is blaming Verstappen and saying Verstappen made a little boy cry his eyes out at the start. I, I, we don't want to get into it, but if you want to put on your tinfoil hat, you could say that Botas won the race for Hamilton at the first turn by breaking early and hitting Reagan. I I like that. I like that because Hashtag I like forty four. Excellent. We'll get into it. So on to Bottas then. Uh, I mean, why was he so slow? Uh, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he had an old engine. Nicky Lauda said it didn't make any difference, but that can't be true. It, it can't be true. If he, he's, he's got a five engine older uh, power unit. It's got to be slower, hasn't it, Alex? Jeansy? With the engine, it's not my forte, so I don't know, but he'd have picked up damage from from hitting um, the Ferrari and the Red Bull, which is what I think would have done it for him. Um, yeah, the engine would have probably been down a little bit of horsepower, but how much we'll never ever know. From the early races, the trend I tend to see is that when there's degradation involved, Lewis are generally faster anyway. Uh, and Russia was a bit of an exception because there was no deg, and maybe that just suits Bottas a bit more. It'll be interesting to see what happens at Monaco and Canada, which are low deg circuits. Um, but to be honest, that older engine, they do apparently suffer some is it is degradation the word I'm looking for, like a loss of performance over a few races. Uh, and that, of course, led to his retirement. Yeah, the the loss of horsepower is is not negligible. It's not huge, but is definitely enough. But I think what everybody forgets is that they also had a new gearbox that was yes. lighter, like yeah. three kilos lighter, which meant that Hamilton had ballast available to him to set the car up, which Botas didn't. And Botas missed a lot of running in FP3 where that sort of work would have been done because they were busy screwing the engine back into the car. 
Okay, so let's go to a bit of strategy then. So what what really happened next was Mercedes, we don't know whether they they were bluffing, but they seemed very intent that they were going to come in for a pit stop. And in any case, what we've been waiting for all year really now is who's going to blink first on these pit stops. And I think the undercut is does have an advantage over the overcut, though there still seems to be an unwillingness to go too early. But wow, Ferrari blinked and Seb went quite early. And that is what set us up for strategy for the whole rest of the race. Ferrari went for the undercut, even though they were leading. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was unusual. And what was even more unusual, and I think what really set the race up to be fantastic, was they put him back out on the soft tires, which meant which meant there was no going to the end of the race if there was a big long safety car period he had to come back in at that point and that put the ball squarely in mercedes court and you it does seem as though ferrari's tactic no matter what happens is let's just pit first yeah it, it seems like they're always a team to do that and, and at times it's hurt Merck and it's benefited ferrari but it seemed maybe a bit too early easy Okay, well, the, the sum uh, total of that just meant that we had this great strategic situation where we really got to see if Lewis Hamilton had a rear gunner. Well, no, this is what killed me. I was watching the race, and in goes Vettel, and he comes out behind Ricardo, and in that first lap, he loses the better part of a second, plus his stop was slow, 3.2 seconds. And you're thinking, this is it, Hamilton's going, and you heard him say to Hamilton, 100%, 100% effort. So... All the dials were turned up. All the knobs were mashed. He was going. And he comes around and he just keeps on going. And you're like, no, because Vettel clears Ricardo. And you start to see the chunks come out half a second, a second. I was, I was raging. On oh, Hamilton, you're yep. like, what? what is this strategy? And, but you, you have to think Mercedes has decided to go long yep. and create a big offset at the end. So he's on the fresher tires. And then they bring him in. And out he goes onto the medium tires right when, right on the very same lap when Vettel catches up to the back of, of Botas, who is still out there on really old soft tires with a, a somewhat wheezy engine to boot. But he fought. I thought he did a quite a good, you know, I know Seb got him in the end, Alex, and you wanted to talk about the move that Seb got him on. But firstly, I mean, Botas put up a really good fight to start with. He was not giving that place up. He fought. For Mercedes, he played a team game. Oh yeah, definitely. He knew he knew the score straight away. I mean, I'd love to have heard some of the radio chatter from Bottas because we didn't hear any of that. Um, so that would have been really good to hear. But no, he he put the car in the right place at the right time. Literally textbook defending when you're in the slower car. Now I I sort of uh, blame myself on the fact that Vettel didn't win because uh, <laughs> wow you know, <clears throat> because uh, you know I I started thinking to myself because uh, Mercedes seemed strategically have dropped the ball a couple of times compared to Ferrari and I thought oh has the ro- roles been turned over is Ferrari suddenly suddenly top strategist then the moment I thought that it it happened and yeah later on because of the virtual safety car. Yeah, it, it didn't happen, so I thought that's my fault. Ryan, are, anyway. you, are you such a, a Murray Walker fan that you genuinely believe you can change the outcome of a race with your thoughts and voice? Yes, yes. <laughs> that is what have you done? Go, doesn't it? <laughs> and by the way, Ryan, happy birthday. I believe you turned 20 over the weekend. Yes, I did. I turned 20 on uh, Friday. 
Now, of yeah. course, believe it or not, listeners, Ryan is a very energetic and talented young commentator for Downforce Radio. You do attend live events at Cast Coombe and some karting. What commentary have you got coming up, Ryan? Well, I've been doing a little bit of sim commentary here and there. Uh, done a little bit for the V, uh, the VEC, which is the best place to go if you want to watch endurance racing on R Factor 2. All right, mate. And where can people follow you online? You can follow me at ferret115. That is E-T, uh, IT, not ET. Wow. <laughs> you have become increasingly bad at giving out your own Twitter handle. Matt, you are at MattPT55. Look, Ryan, I can do someone else's apart from my own. Uh, look, also, uh, obviously, Bottas bought him a lot of time in that situation. So ultimately, it was a combination of that and the virtual safety car that gave Hamilton a big, big step up today. Yeah, and let's not kid ourselves. He halved the distance to Vettel before he before Vettel got by Botas. But I have to stop for a moment because I am getting roundly savaged in the chat room. Yay! It's not me for a change. Woo-hoo. Because earlier I said that Lewis had a new gearbox. Technically speaking, Lewis had a new casing for his gearbox. He did not use any parts, any new parts out of his pool. It was a new casing, a new design that saved them roughly three kilos. Yeah, but details, so, Matt. Are you happy now, chat room? No. Are you happy now? Details. Thank you, chat room, for bringing them up. It, Matt's constant inaccuracies really do bring down the overall technical input that me and Summers generally bring to the Missed Apex podcast feed. But Matt, it, it, the virtual safety car was key. Anil? <laughs> can we just talk about the overtake between Bottas and Vettel? Oh, because yes. It was Sorry. Yeah, of course we can. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, I remember the lap before it happened... Botta, Vettel went for the inside, Bottas went defensive, and Martin Brundle did say he needs to sell him the dummy. And when, when he actually pulled it off, it was incredible. He, had, he was just touching the grass on the inside. It was fantastic. It, I don't it, think it was quite talked about how risky that move was from Seb, and the fact that he managed to pull that off was quite impressive. It was, again, textbook dummy. But to go on the grass just before you... Because at that kind of speed, if you break on the grass... You're gone. You're in a wall. Um, we've all yeah, all done it before. Um, well, um, so for him to manage to keep that while breaking, while going up the inside, was just phenomenal. And someone used to say that Seb can't race. Well, the the move had shades of uh, Mansell PK87 at Silverstone. Uh, that move into Stowe sort of thing, where uh, Mansell sold the double uh, double dummy to. Uh, uh, to PK and they actually managed to touch. So uh, uh, I thought, you know, that that is an awesome move, and I reckon at the moment it is on the list for best move of the uh, of the season. But Matt, was it a legal defence from Bottas? It was legal enough. I don't really care because <laughs> nothing happened. So no, but yeah, all right, fine. You want me to take sides? I'll take sides in a second. But first, I had a point. What made that pass even better was it was the third time in a row that we'd seen him try and get by on that straight and we saw several multi-lap passes happening and i think that inadvertently in a way formula one has stumbled into this set of regulations that makes the overtakes that do happen much more exciting because they build for lap after lap after lap before something happens and i was fantastic to watch yeah at another circuit particularly a track like Bahrain, Vessel would have just breezed past halfway down the straight. What made that so good was the fact that it was it's quite difficult to follow around that track. So we really had to go for it into turn one. You could tell just how much he was about to risk. As Alex said, it was so 
he could have easily ended up in the wall. Um, I was someone that used to say Seb can't race. I take that back. No, no, that's good of you to say. That's good of you to say because, you know, me too. Me too. Definitely. I definitely felt that way in the Red Bull era. But perhaps it wasn't Seb can't race. Perhaps it was Seb hasn't really proven to us that he can, given the good fortune of the machinery he's had. But this year, he is definitely sticking a big thumb. How do the Italians do it? They thumb their nose. He's thumbing his nose at people who say that he cannot overtake. And he's been impressive. Yeah, well, you could definitely see uh, where where Vettel was strong. Where in most corners, in fact, you could see uh, Vettel almost twitching around as he had nowhere else to put the car because Bottas had the car there. But he, Bottas was really good when it came on to stuff like straights at managing to smoothly get on the power and power away because you noticed coming out of the final chicane how Bottas was able to bring out a huge gap where Vettel was right on the back of him and then bring out this huge gap where Vettel then found himself having to use DRS to get only just get past. Jeansy, do you want to answer the charge from On The Gas in the chat room that says Vettel braked after passing over grass? Still, still. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. But he could have still been on the grass. It was the fact that he managed to get on the grass, off the grass, and still brake at that speed was just phenomenal. I wasn't saying that he braked on the grass. James Fonnell says Spanners is attempting to quote some Shakespeare completely accidentally, I promise you. Cameron Thistlewaith, oh, welcome Cameron, I haven't seen you in the chat before, says, eat your hat, Spanners. Wow, if I have to eat a hat every time I am proven ultimately to be wrong, then I have one question. Are hats high calorie? Because is there many carbs in hats? I'm quite happy to, but that's fine. But Matt, the virtual safety car really was the thing that nailed it. This is the final thing on how the race was won and lost. The virtual safety car nailed it. Yes. And let's be clear. It was Stoffel the Waffle not paying attention into turn one that set off this entire sequence of events. And, you know, I'm sat there watching on my app. Here it goes. Lap one. There goes Vettel. There goes Hamilton. Lap two. There goes Vettel. There goes Hamilton. Lap three. Safety car coming off. There goes Vettel. In comes Hamilton. And the last, the lap before, Mercedes had been ready for both drivers. And that was what won them the race, ultimately. I thought it was a huge mistake. I thought it was a huge mistake. Obviously, I'm not a Mercedes strategist, but as a fan, I mean, we've just seen Mercedes drop the ball on these occasions quite a lot in the past. Absolutely. But it was even more important for Pascal Verline because he did a one-stopper. And much like Australia last year with Haas and Ruth Boscombe, again, they basically managed to get a free pit stop that let him finish as high up the order as he did. Blackout 19 saying, Spanners, don't worry, leather hats are high protein, low fat, low carb. Well, that's perfect. I can I can get on and eat it. And no, it's not the Shakespeare bite your thumb at thee. There's an Italian thing, I'm sure, where they put their thumb on their nose and flick it at you. I'm sure of it. Somebody Google that for me and I will ultimately be proven right again Ah, because I was so wrong about all the other stuff. But Matt, yeah, I really was panicking. I thought it was way, way too early uh, for him to come in. And I was just thinking those softs were going to were going to go away. And as lap by lap, Vettel was being helped by the backmarkers, being given DRS uh, and a toe down the long straight. I was thinking, wow, if this was two or three years ago, those softs would have just degraded and Hamilton would have missed his chance completely. Yeah, and it's not like that was out of the realm of possibility even this time around. And let's not forget, Hamilton just about caught Vettel. He did catch Vettel at the pit exit. There was a wee bit of contact 
that could have resulted in two penalties that I don't know. Are we saving that for whose fault is it? It is just about the next thing we're going to do. Yeah. Okay. And after two laps, was it three laps? Hamilton managed to get round him with that really train-like pass down the straight. And from that point on, it was it was a waiting game for Ferrari to try and burn up Hamilton's tires. And the lap after it happened, he's like, my tires, my rears are overheating. Tell me, do I push now or do I try and manage and wait for the end? We never got the answer to that over the air. And so the whole end of the race, you're going, are his tires going off? Are they done? And it was never, the gap was never very much. And the traffic, oh, you could just see these huge passel of traffic in everybody's way. And then right at the end, who's there? Who's, I look up, and Hamilton's lost half a second. Who did he just get by? Oh, Massa. <laughs> it's just like, what a race. What a race. It was anyway. amazing. And he said, he goes, why is it always Massa? Why? <laughs> twice. Twice isn't always. It's starting to sound more like my wife. Why do you always do that? That's the first time that's happened. Anyway, my domestics are for another occasion. Ryan? Did anyone notice, because I, I swear uh, Matt's managed to go through the best part of half hour of the race in like 20 seconds. Um, uh, did anyone notice when Hamilton passed Bottas, Hamilton put his thumb up at him say, almost to say thanks for holding him up sort of thing? Wow. You know, I didn't notice that, but I do remember in the last race, Hamilton saying, look, if he lets me by and I can't get by Vettel, I'll let him back by. I've never heard Hamilton say that before. So, yeah. He said that in this race. uh, No, last race, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last race. So I think it's clearly a new era at Mercedes. And boy, talk about leaving out important things. Massa and Alonso at the start. Again, there's Massa driving Alonso off the track but we'll get to that in we will in whose fault is this all right look let's move on because there was another competition that went on this weekend wow these new bumpers are are they all right i don't know i just found them on the internet let's hope no one has a problem with me using them i'm joking i have fully the rights okay there was the fantasy gp league to worry about this week as well and patrick green has let us down so Ably standing in is Hannah Hassel. Hannah, I have an issue with your jumper. I feel like you've done this deliberately. Yes, it's completely deliberate. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, I, I have this power. I'm going to use it. She's wearing a Ferrari shirt. She's ruining our ham party, Alex. I, I don't even want to comment. Don't even want to comment. Commenting is just like getting involved. In- Exactly. It's, it's, not uh, it's, let's not, not acknowledge it at all. Hannah, you're here to talk about the fantasy GP. Uh, how did we do? How did the panel do? And how did you do? I'm somehow 23rd after some very, very, very bad predictions. I don't know how that happened. I had Kimi and Bottas on the podium and Max for fastest lap. So yeah, but I don't it, know how that you're... happened, but I'm 23rd. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking it. Who do you have in your your normal regular team? Because for the Fantasy GP, our league is called Wrong But First, and you can go to our Facebook group, Missed Apex Podcast, to find out details of how to join our league. I think we've got like 250 people in there. But um, you you do the predictions every race, but who have you got as your like you know standard driver and team picks? I have Sebastian Vettel, Sergio Perez, and Esteban Ocon. And for cars, I have the Ferrari, the Force India, and the Toro Rosso. So that's where I make up my points. Oh, bit of a mixed reaction. Sandra in the chat room says, block Hannah. 
Felix saying, go, Hannah. Baha saying, I used to like Hannah. <laughs> uh, Rudo saying, uh, drop the call. Just drop the call. And Matt is saying, Hannah. Oh, that's you, Matt. You're saying Hannah is awesome. Okay, how did the panel do, Hannah? How did we do? Well, sitting pretty in 34th place is Mr. Matt Trumpets. Oh, no. Don't tell me Matt's ahead of me. I've been dreading yes, this. Yes, he is. He's very much ahead of you. Next <laughs> in 90th, next one is 90th, is Alex Van Jean. Oh, this is Racer. His prediction's coming through. Don't celebrate 90th. You're like Alonso <laughs> celebrating 7th place in qualifying, celebrating top 100 are well happy. <laughs> next in 121st, Spanners. Oh, that's not. See, I was going to celebrate, then I'd have been a hypocrite. Screw it, I'm going to celebrate. I'm better and than Ryan and Anil. And then, and then all the way down in 193rd place is Ryan. You suck! I thought it's wrong, but first, I thought you're supposed to come last. <laughs> yeah, this is like you guys in, 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 in Eurovision yesterday. Like, well, at least we're not at the bottom of the right hand side of the column anymore. We have very we low. In the bottom ten. That's all that matters. It is sad. It is sad to watch. But anyway, right. I'll ask in my thirtieth place. What I've learned from this is that Ryan is the Jolie Palmer of this fantasy league. Yeah, pretty much. Thunderbeast is doing surprisingly well as well. He's in nineteenth place. Tony Thunderbeast Barnard. But I will tell you right now, he does not acknowledge the premium users who pay the extra money to get the uh, the extra spending points for their team. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. selections so uh, he has himself a lot higher hannah thank you very much for calling in uh who's your driver by the way i know you're wearing a ferrari top tell me you're not a kimmy fan no i am a seb fan but this jumper does say m schumacher on the back yeah you've made a friend for life with anil hannah we hope we hear from you very soon where can people find you on the internet 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at Hassel26, that's H-A-S-S-A-L-L 26. And then on Tumblr, I am Prostgirl with two hyphens in between the two words. Hannah, thank you very much for calling in. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Okay, now we go to my favourite part of the show. Whose fault is this? As you know, guys, in my house, if there was a fire, it would not be enough to rescue the children, to rescue the pets and our precious DVDs and hard drives. We would have to first establish whose fault was the fire. Inevitably, it would be mine. But look, we don't do this just to be contrary. We don't do this just to be argumentative. Yes, we know there's a lot of racing incidents. However, forcing the panel to choose who was wrong in each incident lets us explore what I think is a very interesting nuance of Formula One, which is A, what are the rules? What do we find acceptable in racing? And who could have done something you know, to avoid that incident? So first on the list for whose fault is this, Matt? It's got to be Sebastian Vettel forcing off Lewis Hamilton in an incident we've seen played out many, many times, normally with Lewis being the guy on the inside, shoving the guy off on the outside. So Matt, who did you have as being at fault in this situation? Um, oh, you're talking about the pit exit. Situation. Yeah, the pit exit one. Yeah. So yeah, so Hamilton's approaching at pace. Uh, Vettel's come out on his, um, on his slower mediums and he manages to hold on. Uh, you know, what, what more could Hamilton have done? He was more or less ahead. He was definitely alongside. Uh, and Vettel just lets his car run out onto the edge on the exit of turn one. Well, clearly the fault entirely lay with Botas because if he'd held Seb up just a little bit longer, <laughs> Hamilton would have just been in front and that would have been the end of it. Where do you stand on the pushing people to the outside? Uh, I, I'm all for it. And I have to say, I was completely delighted. I, I was completely delighted that the stewards who could have penalized both Vettel and Hamilton for not staying to the left side of the bollard chose to penalize neither and just let them get on with the racing. I thought that was a good call. I'd be interested to hear what Alex says about this being a bit of a, a racer himself. But as far as I'm concerned, if you're going to try and make a move around the outside, you've got to be prepared for the guy on the inside just to force you off a bit, particularly if there's loads of runoff. Like it, You'd be stupid to let someone just go past you around the outside. If I was Seb, I would have done exactly the same thing. Um, he did. He forced him off wide. He's more than entitled to. However, because he's done it to Hamilton... He should have got black flag and kicked out the race and out the championship and all this kind of Heck stuff. Heck yeah. Um, in, in, a, in a completely <laughs> unbiased way. Um, yeah, Seb did the right Seb did the right thing. Lewis did the right thing by backing out. Um, the whole thing about him not going past the bollard, though, I don't know. He gets away with it because Seb forced him off the track and there was contact, so he would have been on the circuit um, otherwise. But it's a Unfortunately, I'd love to say this fault, but it's a perfect racing incident. No, unacceptable. Ryan, whose fault is this? Uh, well, if you to put a marginal amount of blame on anyone, it would obviously be Vettel for causing an incident. But in my opinion, it's just it's just ha- good hard racing. You know, it's what it's what we want to see. Because if you then start to penalise people for stuff like that, then the racing gets boring because no one wants to make an overtake because they're going right. to go, oh well, I might get penalised. Okay, let's do hypotheticals then, Matt. Put a wall there. Whose fault is it now? Hamilton gets creamed into the wall. Whose fault is it? If he gets creamed into the wall. Uh, he should have backed out of it because it was Vettel's corner. Yeah, okay, that's, well, that's cool. So I think the argument is shut then, Anil, on all the times that Hamilton did that to Rosberg, and it was a lot. Texas 2015, Canada 2016. Uh, sorry, Matt, you want to come in on that? 
No, I just I just want to clarify because uh, uh, Gene Z men- mentioned the uh, lack of penalty for the speed bumps is because uh, for the bollard is because you technically, according to the race director, had to hit the speed bumps outside of the curb and then you had to go left to the bollard. Hamilton missed them all. So technically he was in compliance with. Ah, the, uh, that's the interesting. I wasn't aware of that. So cheers for clarifying it. Um, as long as as far as I'm concerned, as long as the stewards are always consistent it's fine. And I'm glad that there was no silly penalty here for either driver. Um, I do think it's different if there is war there. There was a similar incident in a Formula E race yesterday where I think it was PK just kind of did the exact same thing to Vern and shoved him into a wall. But if there's runoff there, you need to let him use it. That was definitely PK's fault. But that is an argument we're probably going to have tomorrow night on E-Radio Show hosted by our very own Matt Trumpets, produced by Chris Stevens. Uh, did you know that Rainbow Sparkles was in Monaco for that Formula E race? So that is one not to miss. E-Radio Show on Downforce Radio, the nation's motorsport station. But yeah, I think I think um, if we're going to accept that, I think all the people who were calling for Hamilton to get a penalty when he was shoving Rosberg off, if they weren't now calling for Vettel to get a penalty in the same situation, uh, yeah, you need to drink a warm glass of shut up about those particular incidents. Uh, okay, Massa Alonso. Uh, obviously, Massa had to avoid the oncoming Max Verstappen. But, Jeans, I will say, Verstappen made absolutely no attempt whatsoever. And he did have some steering. He made no attempt whatsoever to not careen back into the racing line. He was too busy gesticulating with his hand and waving uh, that he'd been hit. To be fair, completely ignoring the fact that what happened with the Red Bull and the Ferrari from when I saw Alonso go to the outside of to go around the outside of Massa before he even got to turn two, I went, Alonso's going in the dirt. There is nowhere he was <laughs> going to hang around the outside there. Massa was completely in the right to do what he did, even if um, Kimi and Max weren't there. Max and they both made big, they both made big attempts to turn. Um, but both those cars were very broken. Completely Alonso's fault. Well, from from watching like the onboard cameras of Verstappen and uh, Raikkonen, the incident seemed to have happened for slightly further up the track after uh, before they re-entered the track. So it seemed that Massa went over across on uh, Alonso. Uh, not to avoid the instant because the instant was actually going on behind him, effectively, from the onboard footage I saw. I'm just amazed that there wasn't a bigger shunt when those two drivers came off, came back onto the racing line. Yeah, it was like, dangerous. I'm amazed they didn't really just hit dangerous. the brakes because that yeah. was so dangerous. Matt. Right. First of all, I will point out, Raikkonen has a history of dangerously re-entering tracks. Silverstone. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But secondly, I'm surprised none of you mentioned, once again, Botas, who kicked the whole thing off by running into Raikkonen in the first place. But that's maybe just me. Okay, well, let's go to that instant. I mean, that's next, isn't it? So you've got Botas on the inside uh, with Kimi, who's sort of turning into him. And then you've got uh, Max on the outside. You've got the three of them there. Botas is slightly behind, makes contact with Raikkonen and nudges them out. Whose fault is this? Uh, I am actually, I initially put it down to Kimmy for turning in. However, I am now worried that it might, but Bottas was actually behind enough that he could have lifted off and avoided that instance. And Anil looks the most frantic to get in. Yeah, I'd lean it towards Bottas. He was just a bit too defensive going into turn one. And he, he was, he broke early. Start. He broke really he early. Have, he, should, he should have just gone around the outside. I don't know why he kind of got himself in the middle of that pack. Um, so I'd probably say it was closer to his faults. 
uh, on the gas is saying that Alonso said there was little to lose. So he took the gamble. Paul Wright saying Bottas did do weird breaking. Uh, Baja says, turns out he's a mere mortal, just like Lewis. I think he's saying that that was Alonso. Jeansy. So Bottas backs out so he doesn't careen up the inside of Lewis into turn one like um, hmm, Bahrain last year. Um, so he's backed out. He still has the inside of that corner. The inside of that corner is his. Kimmy's up on the inside, up around the outside of him, exactly where he can be. The person who is in a precarious position and causes all of it is Max. Because Max Ooh. pinches, because Max pinches Raikkonen, puts Bottas up on the curb. Bottas has got nowhere to go. Kimmy's completely the innocent party in this. Um, and Max could have given a couple more, couple, like, little bit more space to Kimmy and none of it would have happened. Alex, shut up. We have got so many Dutch listeners. Ryan, undo that mess. Max does nothing wrong. Nothing. Well, no, I don't really see that he did anything wrong. I, I don't. Felt I, that don't it was, no. I felt it was Kimmy's fault because uh, I felt that Bottas had every right to put his car where he had it and the that Raikkonen squeezed, uh, squeezed him up onto the curb and left Bottas nowhere to go. So I put it down on Kimmy as much as I don't really want to. Yeah, you know what? After hearing what Alex just said, I'm going to change my mind. I'll put this on Max. Um, it, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a quite a tight corner to fit three cars in. And actually, the car on the outside should probably just be a bit more aware that he's got two guys coming up on the inside. But hey-ho. Although I should say, Ricardo did say before the weekend, if there's one thing Max should do, it's listen more. <laughs> I, so, I see just because of the way he races with other drivers. I see a little bit of tension creeping in from Daniel Ricardo, starting to realise it's not going to be sunshine and roses. And even though they're not fighting for the title, if he keeps getting beaten by Max Verstappen, he's going to lose his grip on the potential title shot when Red Bull do get their act together. And Neil, we go way back. Ever since I first saw you at Silverstone and realised that you were a man who was very, very easy to spot in a Formula One Grand Prix. You've really got to join the live stream to, to know what I mean. Stood out like a sore thumb. But where It's my hairstyle, isn't it? Could be your hair. Let's find out where we can find you on the internet and NeilP228. Yes, find me on Twitter at NeilP228. Um, that's my main kind of go-to place right now. And are you going to be joining us for e-radio show tomorrow night for our race review of Monaco? I would love to, but unfortunately I'm travelling three hours down to a place called Bracknell, which is where I'm based for the week. Three hours! Bracknell, hang on a minute. There's some race teams there. That's Brackley. Damn! Alright, not as exciting. Let's move on to Matt. Matt, where can people find you online, my friend? It's been so long. People were really genuinely upset that you weren't around last week because it was becoming a bit of a habit and they were wondering whether you had somehow dropped off the missed Apex radar. No, no, it just uh, May tends to be a busy, real, real world kind of month for me. So it can sometimes be hard to make the recordings where you're so. making music like this or making music like this. Indeed. Where can people find you online, my friend? You can find me at Matt PT 55 on the Twitters. And you can always look for my wonderful and amazingly talented wife at a weaver writes on the twitters as well and you might even be able to find the odd link if you look at the proper website would be what again spanners www.mistapexpodcast.com there we go it's jazz baby and look this is a very chilled moment i don't know how we've got to this point to say thank you to the listeners matt 
we forget that when we put this out, there's just one person on a train, in a car, at work, skiving, with their earphones in, listening to us. And to that person, we just genuinely want to say, thank you for listening. You are a part of this conversation, and we couldn't do it without you. All right, let's move on to the second part of Whose Fault Is This? Massa versus Van Dorn. Jeansy, this one you actually have an opinion on. Even if we weren't doing you have to blame someone, you would still blame someone. I am so, so disappointed in Van Dorn. He, you know, he dominated GP2. He came into F1. Everyone thought it was a travesty. It's taken him so long to get a drive. And he's supposed to be the real deal. He hasn't delivered at all. And then there's a car coming up the inside of him. He said he didn't know it was there and he just turned in on him. How can you not know it's there? It's just, it was just, it's worse than a rookie mistake. And I'm not talking rookie for Formula One. I'm talking rookie for a racing driver. That's how bad, that's how badly judged that turn in was. It was horrendous, completely and utterly Van Dorn's fault. And someone again has hit Massa. Yeah, if Pastor Maldonado made a move like that, we'd be crucifying him. So yeah, it's Stoffel's fault, really amateur move. Ryan. Well, talking about Pasta, have you seen that uh, everyone is blaming the fact that there's been so many incidents this week weekend uh, to the fact that Pasta actually showed up to the Grand Prix this weekend? <laughs> Bring him to Monaco. Yeah, let's, uh, let's make it interesting. All right, I think that's pretty cut and dry. The other ones we had was um, uh, Kvyat versus Magnussen. I'm struggling to remember that one right now. Can anyone jog my memory? Uh, f- uh, Magnussen dove up the inside of... Fiat and hit him and took out a whole lot of wing stuff. Oh, uh, that yeah. Was, that was KMX fault. Cool. See, so for all you people that are saying, oh, we can't properly assign blame, of course we can. Of course we can in every single instant. Was that you uh, hitting your, your mic stand there, was it, Jeansy? I'm glad I had this particular cue card lined up then. It says, I hate you. Can you read it? Wasn't it wasn't me. I was muted. <laughs> the blue square of Skype calls you a liar. Uh, all right, guys. Um, let's talk about the championship. Hang on. Oh, we need more. Another new bumper. Hang on. I can't remember which one we played now. I think we already had that one. Never mind. We'll roll with it anyway. The championship. Who do we think had the faster car? Matt, Mercedes are clearly now the faster car. It's so obvious. Please don't tell me you're going to be daft. Obviously, Hamilton was being strategic at the beginning. Uh, he was held up by Hamilton uh, by Vettel at some point. He was able to overtake. He disappeared into the distance and controlled the race. Mercedes have the fastest race car. Yes, and that's exactly why Hamilton said he couldn't take any time out of Vettel during the whole first stint. Well, he couldn't take any time out of it. Isn't that not to do with the wash? Are you telling me that he fell back exactly 2.5 seconds and then that was that? It just so happened to work out that way. He said he could not make any progress on Vettel in the first stint. So clearly the Mercedes would be faster in that instance. Aside from, of course not leading the race but okay well he was at least as fast i i i have to agree with what matt seems to be saying i i think the ferrari is the the faster car out of uh out of the two is um you know it's uh supposedly the mediums are the slow tire and yet he was only attempt slower than hamilton on the uh, faster tire I think it's like 80-20 towards Merck, and there are certain conditions where the Ferrari just has the pace, and Vettel's clearly very comfortable in the car. But I think if you look at the number two drivers, I mean, Bottas is clearly probably much better than Raikkonen pace-wise. Uh, I think it, it's leaning towards Merck, but there are parts where Ferrari can really kind of keep up. 
can we just not say that, to be fair, it's probably a bit too close to call, where we genuinely actually have two front-running cars on the almost the exact same pace, and the only differential is the drivers. Do you know what it is, though? I think there is a factor, Neil, that we've gotten so used to Mercedes being very far ahead that when we see the Ferrari looming or even close, you know, we're minded to say, oh, it's Ferrari, it's Ferrari. But I, I just I can't help but feel Mercedes still have the edge. It's just that in our minds, they're not ahead unless they're 2015 ahead. Yeah, I mean, that is a very good point. And to be honest, there are so many variables to kind of... There was, there was loads the, today. There's so many yeah. and the strategy and whatever. But just on Alex's point, he actually raises a really good point in that the field spread this year is the biggest I've ever seen it in Formula One. And you've got two drivers and two different cars lapping within tenths of each other. That is actually pretty incredible when you think about it. Well, one of the ridiculous things was the fact that uh, both Hamilton and Vettel came not far off lapping third position Daniel Ricciardo. That is one of the shocking things that you think, wow. I think you're all bonkers, yeah. Matt. I think, you, but there's a great point that Neil made, which is that there were so many variables today. We didn't see a really, apart from the beginning first in, we didn't see them, you know, running alongside each other in ghost mode. They were on different strategies the whole race. Yeah, they were on different strategies. But if you look at the time that Vettel lost in the pit and the time that he lost behind Botas, it was, it's, it, you know, the calculation I saw was about 14 seconds. I think if you're asking which car was faster in the race today, mm-hmm. hypothetically, the Ferrari, I think, was the faster car today. And I think the only reason Hamilton was able to win was that it was a complete team victory, start to finish. The strategy was there. The execution from the mechanics in the pits was there. You had Botas doing the proper job as a teammate when he knew he had no no chance of of being close to the victory. It all came together for Lewis. And you had the timing of the virtual safety car which meant that Vettel spent a bigger chunk of the race on the slower tire than, and then Hamilton had. So it's all an, of that yeah. for him. I mean, it's an interesting point. Having the fastest car doesn't always just mean, you know, the fastest car in a straight line. It doesn't mean the fastest car overlaps. Sometimes it means the car that's drivable and that isn't making you have mistakes. You got the feeling that Vettel was on the edge and like, whereas Hamilton's car did seem more planted. We saw Vettel's back end go out quite a few times. Um, obviously, also he locked up trying to, uh, lap massa he his back end slid away as he was going into turn one alex did you hear massa's comment on the radio no god after, after seb nearly hit him um hang on i've written it down somewhere uh where is it uh yeah he said um oh, where's it gone you could have just stayed silent and my auto silencing software would have got rid of it but now everyone's gonna hear you fumbling around like the fool you are well you get there alex uh we know you're a racer you do british rental cart uh championships with bradley philpot uh where can people find you online they can find me at twitter mainly alex van Jean is at alex van Jean is my twitter handle at the moment i'm just tweeting about boilers and exhibitions because that's all i ever seem to be doing at the moment um holiday next week so you'll see lots of holiday snaps and then hopefully some racing once i get back so i found the quote um good because you were really selling radio, your social he media. came over the radio and he said uh, i think he's afraid of me man <laughs> i think that might be a point i think that when seb sees a white car now he's going oh god here we go again uh but but in both in both races i don't think massa did an awful lot wrong to be honest i don't think he did much wrong in sochi and i don't think he's done much wrong there today but as i was saying the faster team the faster car isn't just about you know out and out lap time 
sometimes it's about having the best package, the best handling, and the best actual team strategy is a very important part of having the best car. And today, Mercedes just had an absolute, absolute blinder. But what does this say about the title fight now? Because there is a 35-point gap between Hamilton and Bottas, something in that area. We know Ferrari are going to support Vettel. I think uh, no one is pretending anymore that Kimi's got equal status, and that's absolutely fine. He's picking up his paycheck. The I, I think it's actually the same at Mercedes, Alex. I think that they have had it in their heads all along to have that number one, two. What they are looking for now is the mandate to admit that to the public, and that mandate has got to be points. It'll never be admitted to the public, um, but you don't they think? never want they never they never want one of their cars to not finish a race. But Bottas not finishing today and Lewis picking up the win is probably what they needed to just eke it out. It will never be admitted. It will never be admitted. And 35 points is nothing in the Formula One these days because it's it's a it's a failure for somebody else. Um, but should they put everything in Lewis's basket? Of course, I'm going to say yes. I'm a ham fan. But if they don't want to lose, the, if they just want to win the Constructors' Championship and not worry about the Drivers' Championship, it's up to them, but they want both titles. A good they point four from in a row. Michael Howlin, who says Hamilton was out of breath in that car today. That was amazing to hear how out of breath he was. So I don't think it was as planted as it seemed. Well, it could be planted, and he was really pushing it. We know, we know that's a hard track. Um, James Funnel suggesting that Perez or Sainz really needs to replace Kimi very soon. Uh, Sarah Reynolds, in an emoji-filled rant, says, "Did you hear Martin Brundle say Bono needs to clip?" Lewis around the ear. Yes, we did. And I will point out that that is slightly infantilizing language. And I'm not sure that I've heard him talk about other drivers in, in such terms. Uh, a flawless fill from Spanners, uh, says Mr. McKay. Thank you very much. Trumpets. I would say Brundle accepted. In general, you hear engineers talk about drivers in those terms. Fair much like- much yeah. like people backstage talk about actors. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And much how I've heard if, singers described following my wife around the country. Ryan? If we're going to talk about, um, you know, uh, team engineers, what about after the uh, instant, I believe it was uh, the for the pit lane instant between Magnuson and uh, Carlos? <laughs> but it was like, it was like, Magnuson was quite calm, and then all of a sudden, his engineer is like, "Okay, okay, calm down, uh, Kevin, calm down." And everyone's like, well, "He seems pretty calm to me." I've I've definitely had this one with my wife, where you know she said, "You know, you know, calm down." You're like, "I am calm." Will you just hold it together? I am holding it together. Well, now you're not calm. You know, I mean, maybe that's what he was trying to do. That's how he was trying to win the argument. He's been talking to my wife, Anil. That's not the first time this season. Um, Magnuson's engineer is just had to tell him to calm down. They seem to have a really weird dynamic. I don't know if Magnuson actually enjoys it. I think it's the uh, the hot and cold between, you know, people say the Finns are cool and calm. I've spent a lot of time in Denmark and I just don't see them lose their rag very often at all. I have spent time working in Italy. They lose their rag just over like someone not shuffling forward in the queue. That's just part of how they, how they like to be, Anil. It probably explains why Raikkonen's always had British engineers at Ferrari. Maybe, yeah, he just doesn't want the, uh, yeah, exactly. And also, to have a Ferrari pit crew over the radio, most of the Italian language is done in hand gestures. So how they're supposed to fully communicate audio only, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. Matt, I'm completely losing track of where we are. Look, Hamilton's the number one driver now at Mercedes. That's that. There's no way it's going to be any different. And I, I think you're wrong, Alex. I think Toto Wolff will admit that in a few races to come. 
in a few races, maybe, but not after number four. If Lewis beats him in the next two and Bottas isn't second, um, you're probably right. Okay. What happens in Monaco if Bottas is leading from Hamilton then? They've got to swap it. So, yeah, they've got, I think the team order will come through and they will just say, don't hold him up. I, I, I think that would happen. I think that will happen. Who disagrees? And then the following race, Bottas wins, Hamilton engines blow up, blows up. Who knows? And and I think that's why James is right. It's just too it's too early to publicly say that. Publicly. All things being equal, Hamilton has got the most points, so that's that's who you're going to put your money on. But the reality is, between DNFs and and just the odd off weekends, it's just too soon to say out and out this person's the number one driver. Okay, let's move on to any other business. Some other stuff happened. I know people are saying that we're just the Merck and Ferrari show, but, you know, in our defence, they're the ones out front. And it's a very, very exciting title fight indeed. Uh, Alonso, I loved his comment earlier in uh, the practice sessions saying, yeah, the engine feels good, it's actually slower, fantastic. Uh, that's a, a strong contender for the Pony Award. Force India, Matt, again, Force India. Wow. Uh, where did they finish in the end? Fourth and fifth? Yeah. It's unbelievable. That team is overachieving massively. Yes, there was some attrition today, but you know, really, how long can they keep this up? And can they challenge Red Bull? If they keep on only finishing one car, then yeah, yeah, they, they might be able to. But I'd say the people who are really worried right now would be Williams. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Any other, any other business from the panel, Anil? Well, yeah, just following on about Force India. If you think how many points they took away today, I don't know how many they actually got. Was it 20, 22? Williams... Are Williams going to be able to catch that amount up at any race this season? I can't see that car with Massa and Stroll doing that well. And let's just compare as well. Stroll to Ocon, two rookies. Ocon is driving fantastically well. Not quite at the level of his teammate, but he's picking up points. Easy. Um, Two points. Fernando Alonso actually finished a race. He got into 14th place and didn't all of a sudden start wondering about phantom gremlins in the engine i was really impressed with that um and the other one was it's nice to see a smile back on danny rick's face and did anyone hear what he said in the pen about um going back to monaco he said he's keen as a 24 pack of mustard to be getting back to monaco (laughs) that really made me laugh let's just hope they give him ties this time ryan yeah another couple of things to point out performance wise was pascal verline getting a scoring the points for uh, uh, for Sauber, oh. but but also Danny Kvyat, who effectively came from last, although he was second from last because of the penalties from uh, Van Dorn. But Kvyat coming from last to ninth, pretty good performance. And also I've got a bit of a gripe uh, with Formula One in general. Uh, Matt, you can go, go next, but uh, Ericsson breezed past Alonso today. I never want to see Ericsson breeze past Alonso ever again, Liberty Media. You hear me. You make things happen so that doesn't happen. That made me angry, Matt. I get that it did, but he had his revenge in the end. So fair enough. It's Um, important. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, We haven't talked about Hulkenberg finishing sixth, which I believe is also their highest finish of the year. That wasn't where I was going, so you can continue. No, it's it's a real testament to how much they've improved as a team that they were able to pull it off because they they were not looking great in qualifying. 
but it also is important evidence that it's not just the engine in the Red Bull this year that's causing trouble. That is a one-man team. Yeah. Palmer is nowhere near the level of Hulkenberg, and he's not a rookie. That's what I find really frustrating. If he was a rookie that had been shoved through formula really quickly from the junior formula, you could understand it. But he did four years in GP2. He had a season last year. He is so far behind Hulkenberg. And do we all realize that with Sauber scoring points, there is only one team left with zero points next to its name? Which is McLaren, of course. Yeah. But with regards to Palmer, I was... Because I want Palmer to do well. He's a Brit. He's a nice enough lad, and I want him to do well. But I watched his pace throughout the entire race, and he was nowhere. He was always the slowest man on track, it, even slower than the Saubers. And it was just really, really disappointing because, unfortunately, him and Mr. Lance Stroll are by far the um, worst two drivers on that grid. And apologies, Neil. Uh, we've got to move on. I mean, I've officially given up support of uh, of Palmer as well. I, I understand the despair. Uh, we need something a bit different. But Stroll as well, people have stopped pretending that even within Williams, Paddy Lowe, every time I've heard him throughout the course of the weekend, he was just saying, yeah, he's just slower everywhere. Even Stroll said, yeah, it was good. I got to within five tenths, which is quite good for me at the moment. I'm, why are you saying that? Are you just that rich? You don't have to even care about selling yourself. Well, for the one and a half Palmer fans left out there, they could probably take some heart in that Renault actually tweeted or or, or gave a story up that, that they had seen the the pace in Palmer relative to Hulkenberg, and they were working with him to get the car where it needed to be for him to show that pace. Although that may be one of those, you have my complete and full support kind of yes. statements that politicians usually get right before they've, they're given the boo. But there was one other really important thing that I wanted to get to. Yes. This goes back to our general bashing of poor rookie drivers, was that the penalty that McLaren took for giving van dorn a new energy store and control electronics it was a 10 place penalty that cost him one place and it was specifically so he would have the new parts available for monaco where he will now be starting three extra places further down the grid thanks to his amazingly stupid driving into the side of massa oh the irony ouch oh my goodness oh my goodness all right lads running out of time let's go on to the podium well we've run out of time thanks for staying Okay, I will say, on the podium, it was fantastic. Can we please have Pedro De La Rosa doing it every single race? He was fantastic. He's charming. He's a handsome drink of water to boot. Uh, and he, I think he understood what a podium interview is supposed to be, Anil. I'm pretty convinced if you look the word gentleman up in the dictionary, <laughs> there's a big face of Pedro De La Rosa. What a man. I know. It's beautiful. Sometimes you got to put with Eddie Jordan on there, and you, and then you see, oh look, look how it can be done with class, with style, with humility, uh, understanding that you know he's not bigger than that podium ceremony. And yeah, no, really, really enjoyable. So, guys, I'm going to ask you for your thing of the weekend, Matt. Ooh, and and it was a tie for me, so I will go with Alonso finishing a race. 
yeah, that is that is a great thing of the week. And that is also a testament to how happy he is in general with Saturday and having people like applaud him and things like that. Uh, and I think he spent ages in the paddock. I was watching just um some periscope of him going around giving his hat to little kids and stuff like that. And the fact he's getting on a plane to do some IndyCar testing tomorrow. Uh, I think he's uh he's invigorated. He's bang up for it. So maybe McLaren have made the right move. And Neil, uh, comments on that and your thing of the week. Well, Alonso's lap in qualifying was my highlight. Until the little boy who cried about Raikkonen retiring <laughs> and then getting to meet the drivers. They oh, were yeah. interviewing him on Sky. This kid is sorted for life. I mean, that is the feel-good story of the year. They could make it into a film. Liberty Media, I love you. Alex, who got your thing of the week? Because um, I always take it away from racing. I'm going to make it about racing this time. And I've got to go with Danny Fiat for considering how awful he said his car was in qualifying that he just couldn't get anything out of it to get from the back row to finish ninth without any mistakes no incidents was brilliant well done danny rick danny kafir yeah and he said the car was driving him itself very very convenient ryan ferret ferris who was your thing of the week Ooh, this is a hard thing it's either the uh the talking robot doing sebastian vettel impressions and Matt's doing weird things with the yeah, fingers. I don't know what Matt's doing. I don't understand. Matt, you're just going to have to tell us, mate. Sauber. Well, there was Sauber, but there was also uh, the talks of um, Brabham coming back to replace uh, Force India, which I quite like the sound of, especially uh, the awkwardness between Martin Brundle and uh, Bernie Eccleston, which we see on a regular basis, but not as regular now. Yeah, yeah, Sauber, because they one stop Pascal Verlin. Oh my God. All right, sorry, but whatever. You have your choice, and I don't get two bites of the apple. Mine goes to Felipe Massa for interfering with Sebastian Vettel again, whether it be inadvertently or not, and just being generally hilarious when he has to talk about this subject. Just think about it. Every single incident he was involved in, the one at the beginning, <laughs> it was ex Ferrari drivers, ex teammates. The and the one oh my God. Too. Yeah. He's like the Forrest Gump of Formula One. No, this is like Massa Returns. The, the Massa Strikes Back. This is fantastic. Okay, then let's find out. Oh, no, you missed the Apex. Who missed the Apex for you, Matt? Ooh, my missed Apex? Van Dorn. Yeah, just in generally disappointing. Alex, was that yours? No, mine's JP. Sorry, dude. You, you, you suck. You really, really suck. Savage. Yeah, Neil's nodding. I, I agree. I mean, JP was so bad that I'm not going to give this award to Van Dorn. He really was that bad this weekend. Ryan? Well, if no one's going to give it to, to him, then I will. I'll give it to Van Dorn. You know, it's, it's... Everyone, just about everyone just gave it to Van Dorn. Ryan, go back to bed. Look, it's my missed Apex now. Missed Apex, unfortunately. I know it's going to upset some friends. Uh, it's Red Bull. I was expecting more. I just wanted them to turn up with a lot more. It's not dead in the water yet. It's not dead in the water. Um, but I think we're expecting more because, you know, it's newy. But I think, you know, we're starting to get the message now that this really isn't a newy car. 75 seconds just is not acceptable for what is supposed to be the third best team in Formula One with the best car designer in Formula One, apparently. Ferret, with much regret, back to you. Can I can I uh, go back to uh, Haas having you know the rear end keep locking on itself during practice with Grosjean and uh, yep. qualifying because you know he well and truly missed the apex on many occasions. Yeah, they've just got to sort those brakes out. Here's my favourite award. Daddy, I want a pony, and I want it now. Okay, so mine is going to that whiny little kid 
who just because his favourite driver uh, was out of the race, was like, oh, my daddy. And obviously his parents didn't care. No one was hugging that kid. Matt, you agree fully? No, actually. I think my <laughs> pony award has to be Magnuson's yes, great. <laughs> pit signs and the pit exit because, oh my goodness, do we ever need a timeout for that one. Any more pony awards? Anyone got one, Jeansy? No, Anil. To, to be fair, everyone was quite well behaved this weekend. To be fair, right. everyone everyone was quite. Well, I, I was expecting more um, from Seb, especially when he nearly drove into the back of Massa. But, but he maybe did. he realised it was his fault. He did a bit. Oh, why is it always Massa, Ryan? You are holding up a My Little Pony throughout, which I appreciate, but it raises further questions. Maybe not answered here, but with a Franken full conversation with your father do you have a missed uh pony missed pony uh daddy i want a pony award well i i, I think i gotta give it to uh science but purely because he was whinging about uh, something that making a mountain out of a molehill purely because he did something that was his fault and yet blames it on someone else fair enough matthew let's go to comment of the week and get out of here all right. Am I picking one or am I reading the candidates? Read the candidates and then you, sir, have the honor of picking the comment of the week. Evangelos Eteroclitus. Ryan, the F1 historian. I can almost smell the pipe smoke. Is that the winner? No. Ooh. Gary Gerhardt. NFL makes Premier League look like poo. That'll oh. give us something to talk about in WhatsApp for the next couple of weeks. And... Somewhat painfully, Blackout 19. By the way, on his website, Palmer's T-shirts are currently 50% off the regular price. Wow, that's telling. Is that true? Someone quickly uh, Google if that's true. If that's true, that's incredible. It's just like, we're not going to fire you, but um, we're getting rid of all your stock. We, we do need the shelf space, mate. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Paul Wright, McLaren will win in Abu Dhabi 2025. But I think... I think I have our winner, and our winner this week is Christopher Fonseca. JP would score more points as a Eurovision entry than an F1 driver. Comment of the week. Congratulations. Feel free to add that to your Twitter handle that you are a winner of the Missed Apex comment of the week. A big thanks to all my panel, Alex Jeansy Van Jean, uh, Matt PT55, Matt Trumpets, and Neil Palmer and Ryan Ferret, ferret. I've been your host at Spanners Ready. Uh, I'd urge you, if you've enjoyed our podcast, you might want to consider supporting us. There are a few ways in which you could do that. We always appreciate you sharing your knowledge of this podcast with your friends, be it at your desk, in the office, the water cooler, uh, or by tweeting out the show links. If you want to support us monetarily, you can leave us a tip jar donation at patreon.com by looking for Missed Apex Podcast on there. Please follow me personally at Spanners Ready and at Missed Apex F1. Until next week, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll & Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BollAndBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.